Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is a little different. I was invited onto the Non-Duality podcast by Nick Hyam, and our conversation is running across both our platforms. As some of you are aware, I'm interested in many of the nuances and implications of non-duality. And we discuss what can seem like a really deep topic through the lens of my book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Enjoy. There is this pervasive idea that I'll be happy when X or I'll be fulfilled when X comes. Now in life, that may be the relationship, the house, the bank balance, the car, retirement, you know, whatever it may be. These are such deeply rooted patterns that we have. We're so identified with the voice in our head. And so we're so identified with our interpretations of things. I was sports supporter for Radio 1 for many years, was very lucky to do so, covered Olympics, Wimbledon's, World Cups. And on many levels, it was great. But in time, I did find it a little shallow in that you do focus on the results who won in sport it's just heightened because it's a, a world cup win or a, an olympic gold medal but it's the same system it's the same outlook at play and so many people in sport have got there and just felt empty this isn't what i expected this isn't what was promised and and i think we can all relate to that and so that begs the question where are we going wrong and to me, it's that 180, that old saying of, you know, what you're looking for is where you're looking from. What we're looking for is not out there. The fulfillment we are looking for is us and is at our source. And so it's just a gradual, gradual unwinding and a shifting of identity, dropping that enlightenment slash champion goal and embracing this recognition the more you get in line with that and then go deeper into it because it's you know infinitely deep it can't help but enrich your life you're listening to the non-duality podcast this is nick hyam from thewholenessofexperience.com 
Joining me for this episode is Simon Mundy, author of the new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself, and presenter of the Life Lessons podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Simon. Thank you, mate. Yeah, it's always lovely talking to you. What I really love about your book is how you encourage readers to reconsider what true fulfillment and contentment mean. Your exploration of this reevaluation is informed by the many conversations you've had with psychologists, philosophers, world renowned thinkers, and of course, sporting legends. We're often so focused on becoming champions in an attempt to reach a desired state and status, instead of recognizing the fact that we are already complete and at peace as we are. As you say in your book, we're not the mind, we're not the ego, we are being itself, the being that is both the creator of experience and that which is aware of it. And so you emphasise that shift from becoming to being. Yeah, the title of my book is, is Champion Thinking. I mean, what we've tried to do is sort of turn it on its head. But just to zone in on that word champion has connotations, doesn't it? If I'm a champion, then I'm special. Well, so does enlightenment. I'll get to this place I'll become and then I'll be special. I'll be different. This idea of becoming, I bracket it under success evangelism. I quite like that term. And there just are so many examples of people, whether it be in sport, in business or just everyday life. And we can all relate to this whether it be getting into a relationship and thinking, oh my God, this is the one. And then a year or two year later, some issues start coming, which is a guilt-edged opportunity, by the way, through to just something simple like being excited about a party and then it being the focus of your week and you get to it, it's not quite as good as you thought. And you thought, wow, I've kind of wasted my time. This just doesn't work. It does not work. What we're looking for is not out there and even if it was out there, it's not going to be out there for long because everything's always changing. We have to find that one thing, to call it a thing, that one place, <laughs> place this place, whatever you want to call it, where this fulfillment does lie. And just to ground it in something a little simple, I think it's really obvious when you look at babies. We've got a nine-month-old and there's never a question, I think, of they're not intrinsically whole and enough. That is still true of all of us now. We've just lost sight of it because of conditioning, because of the ego coming online, because of comparisons, etc. We go on this quest, don't we, outside ourselves to get in touch with something that was never lost in the first place. So the fulfillment we are looking for is, is at our source. But for the mind, the seeking mind, we're already there, basically. Yeah, and so the acquisition of a new car, a new relationship, whatever it is, some kind of success, some kind of achievement. It's short-lived, but we stop seeking when we find that thing. And it's the cessation of the search that brings the well-being. You know, we stop becoming and we come back to the being. It takes you out of your narrative and brings you into the now. And it turns out that we are the now, we are present yes, as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're absolutely right. And I think that sport is a really good example for it. I did want to explore this idea of sport as a metaphor for life. And I've talked about flow and maybe we can go into that a bit deeper. But there are certain aspects of flow that are really interesting. But put simply, you're just so engaged with the moment 
that you merge with the moment. And so thoughts about past and thoughts about future go. And so, like you say, you're at one with what is. There isn't this seeking for a different moment or resisting this moment. And so I think it's quite easy then to go and search for flow. And I think there's there's nothing wrong with that. But I think the more important thing is to recognize that when you're aligned with the moment, this is always accessible. The fact that there are so many portals into this, for me, it might be watching Roger Federer. For my wife, it's music. For my best mate, he's still going clubbing in his 40s. It's dance music. The conversation, there are so many portals into it. And yet what we experience is the same. So therefore, the portals are not it. We just assume that they are it. But actually, no, what they are is just different ways into what we're talking about, which is this peace and fulfillment that's, that's always that's always there. So I think the challenge for me has been with the book, talking about flow, which so many people associate with heightened experiences, like, okay, then that's all well and good, but how do we bring more of that into our everyday life? And to me, it's what you alluded to. It, it's a recognition that the mind says, I don't like this, I do like that. I want this and this will fulfill me. First of all, taking that with a pinch of salt and then recognizing just a quite a simple recognition for me is that we're not our thoughts, we're aware of our thoughts. And that part of us that's aware is always totally at one with what is. And as you say, actually isn't separate from the now. And I think becoming more aware of I call it the aware mind just to try and make it as accessible as possible. Awareness, you know, as you know, it's difficult to put into words. But the more you come to that, the more you're able to drop into a sense of, okay, this moment is showing up how it's showing up and I can get in line with it and then I will experience more peace and flow. Yeah, there are always portals um, every moment, wherever you are however you feel but so always a portal into presence into being yeah you and i have spoken uh, on numerous occasions and my understanding of this was pretty deep but there were just one or two things that were slightly bothering me and i think you really gave me something that was needed at, at the time which was like you say at any moment no matter what's going on it could be anxiety whatever it may be that right there can be a portal I'll give you a quick example. I'd had a busy week, gone to do a, a business proposal pitch and I came back and I was just felt a bit burnt out and I sat in my car and I had this slight sense of, or a feeling of perhaps a little bit of burnout, perhaps a little bit of anxiety. And the impulse often is to reach for your phone or run away from it or whatever, numb it. And I sat in the car for 15 minutes and inquired into this, this sensation. And first of all, it's just this, amorphous tingly vibration and then you expand out it's not separate from the sound of that bird and so even the most difficult experience can be a portal into this seamlessness and I'm very grateful to you for helping me guide me skillfully in that direction so I just wanted to acknowledge that yeah I appreciate that and I appreciate your your openness your willingness to look there, you know, and that's what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about going more deeply into what's present. All of these things are portals because ultimately 
they're all expressions of the one reality. So because there's only reality showing up in, in these different ways, there's nothing to get rid of, only an opportunity to understand in a deeper way. It's like life is saying, delve into me. I may appear as anxiety or physical pain, but really delve into me because it's not what you think it is. And you're not defined that way. You're experiencing what you call anxiety, but because it's not really anxiety, you can't be the anxious person. But as you say, if you come to the sensation level and deeper into that, into the energetic level, it's indescribable. But it is so alive. It's so rich and so vital. And it's like the last place we look is what we consider is poison. And right at the core of poison is medicine. So the medicine is to be found in the poison. And so it's just this constant invitation to go, yeah, this is a portal too, this too. It's kind of like the opposite of neti neti, right? It's like, not this, not this. I'm not the body, I'm not the mind, I'm not this and not that. And that's true. But the other side of it is, I'm all of it. I'm all of it. So you're never away from home and you're never not what you are. And yeah, I mean, that's what I really appreciate about your book because we're constantly seeking something better. I don't want anxiety, I want something else. What's the opposite of anxiety and how can I find it in the future? We're so up in our heads. We're so identified with the voice in our head and so we're so identified with our interpretations of things. And I know this to be true in my own experience. An example I often give is when I was covering London 2012 and I was... um, sports supporter for Radio 1, which was my comfort zone, but Five Live asked me to do a live report on Super Saturday, which is like when Jess Ennis, Mo Farah, Greg Rutherford won gold. And it felt like a big deal to me because, again, I thought there were big bosses listening. So it felt like my career, my future career was somewhat on the line. So I'm in the fan park surrounded by fans and I've got the radio kit on. And about an hour before I was due to go on air, I just felt this sensation in my stomach. And I interpreted it to be anxiety and I resisted it. I mean, how can you bat away something internal? But that's what I was trying to do. And what happened was it just grew and grew and grew and it went up into my head and it turned into thoughts of I'm going to mess my career up, just imagining things going wrong, getting tongue-tied live and I wanted to run away. You know, I, I felt very anxious to put a label on it. And then the adrenaline kicked in and I was fine. And then as I became more aware of this understanding and just for a bit of a added context as well my way in I would say I mean there were numerous things that I did and serendipitous encounters if you can call them that but one way definitely was through acceptance and commitment therapy and someone just saying to me the difference between the thinking mind and the aware mind noticing the difference and and it slapped me around the face because I'd never even considered the possibility of aware mind the only thing was the thinking mind to me at that point and so Fast forward a couple of years and I was in a TV studio going on with a notoriously hard interviewer to talk about a subject that I wasn't watertight on. And I felt that same sensations in my tummy. But this time I did what we're talking about, which is I went towards them and I investigated them and certainly didn't resist them. And as a result, it didn't go up into my head, but it kind of transmuted it from what I labelled to be anxiety previously in London to actually excitement because obviously there's not a huge difference apart from the story in our head 
And so I think the more we can get a bit of space from the story in our head and understand actually that it's a survival mechanism that is conditioned by our past and just take it with a pinch of salt and then lean, do a 180, which we're not encouraged to do, which is to lean into these things. It can just be so powerful. And so now I told you I'm a bit tired today. I've had two talks this week. I had one I was five minutes late for because I got stuck on the M25, could have been in a state of anxiety, in fact, felt a bit tense did the same thing like just open space of awareness sort of lent into it not with an intention to get rid of it just okay this is interesting this is what's here now and then rocked up and gave this talk and and actually you don't have to be ruled by those feelings and and they can be or sensations and they can be not just portals into into this recognition but it's just really interesting, you know, it's sort of the rich variety of life. And, and they certainly don't need to stop you from doing what you want to do. That's certainly been my experience. And then the joy for me is passing on to our eldest daughter. You know, I've talked to her all the time about welcoming her feelings. You know, we started when she was seven and eight and she talks about, oh, I'm nervous about this and she'll have them. She's made it her own. She talks about having a tea party with her feelings and it's beautiful. She was painfully shy a couple of years ago and she's got into dancing the last few years and she went and she did a um, performance in a theatre, all the parents watching, you know, big deal for a kid of that age. And she felt these sensations and she welcomed them. And then this other kid who was with her said, oh, I've got a stomachache. And she said to her, I think you're worried. Welcome the feeling, go into it. And honestly, I've I've never been so proud. It's all very well focusing on school results and the whatnot but for me the more she can welcome and inquire into her experience what could be more important in my view a tea party with my feelings what what a great book title for for kids yeah there we go i'm gonna go and pitch that to my agent as soon as we're off this thanks nick (laughs) yeah i mean that's what it is isn't it it's like changing your relationship with what is welcoming it allowing it in reality it's already here like it's already here. It's already being held by what you are beyond what you believe you are. It's already included. But definitely welcoming it is, is a way to nudge towards that recognition. I think that's a really important distinction. I remember interviewing someone on the podcast about, it was actually about perfectionism, but self-acceptance was a really big part of it. And I immediately quite liked that he was broaching the subject because I would take self-acceptance or acceptance over self-esteem or any of that positive thinking, whatever, all day long. But still, I remember speaking to him and getting the sense that it's something you do. And I think the fundamental recognition is that it's not something you do, it's something you stop doing. So this is why for me, trying to meet people where they're at saying, okay, there's the thinking mind and there's the aware mind. It's not that simple, but I think that's language people can perhaps resonate with. Certainly was when I first heard it. And so the thinking mind is the one obviously that goes, I like this, I don't like that. This is good, this is bad. But the aware mind is okay with all of it. It's just recognizing, you know, you could argue it's a it's a shift in identity, but it's recognizing that we are that aware mind that is prior to thoughts. And then the acceptance isn't something you do. It's it's already there. It's already being held. It's only the the thoughts that come up that we identify with that then create some friction. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news all right i'll do it. sign up now and you'll get unlimited for 15 dollars a month in six months of paramount plus essential plan on us mintmobile.com slash switch upfront payment of 45 dollars, equivalent to 15 dollars per month unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month face lower speeds videos at 480p active mint customers by 531 24 get six months of paramount plus essential plan auto renews after six months offer ends may 31st 2024 separate paramount plus registration required terms and conditions apply if rated pg yeah we've spoken quite a bit in other conversations about ADHD because we both have it. We both experience ADHD, but we're not ADHD. Um, And a feature of it is rejection-sensitive dysphoria, which means rejection, whether real or imagined. It's really hard to bear. Dysphoria means hard to bear. The truth is, it's actually impossible for the ego, the separate me, to bear anything, let alone rejection. There is not an entity that can hold experience. What we are, call it awareness, consciousness, that is what holds experience. You can hold it all, you can hold rejection, but you're still here, even when you feel rejected. It's not like you've been kicked off the earth or something. You haven't died. You're still here with the feeling of rejection. You can't be rejected. It's impossible. Yeah, I think that's... That's brought up a couple of things for me. You can't do anything. It is a recognition. And so that's why I always trace my journey, for want of a better word, back to that. There's the thinking mind and the aware mind because it was just like, how have I missed this? And then it's deepened in various ways through experiences, through interest, through hyper-focusing and this type of things. If we're going to talk about ADHD and... But in terms of my experience with rejection, sensitivity, dysphoria, just being sensitive, you know, if I think of a couple of things, I remember being on a stag do about 15 years ago, maybe just under, and I was having a bit of a laugh with a good friend of mine. And it went from being a laugh to a bit diggy. And I remember him saying to me, Monday, you're insecure. And it stung. And obviously I didn't want to feel that stingingness. And so my reaction was one of, not that he would have known, but I was angry. I was a bit, this is one of my best friends. Why would they say that kind of thing? And certainly not an acknowledgement of it. It was defensive. And then another one would be growing up, I 
I sought my, the approval of my father. That was a big thing for me. And so when I felt like I was not being acknowledged, that was really painful at times. Another one was just because of some of my ADAD, ADHD traits, let's say, of um, impulsiveness, which for me growing up was just being a really gobby so-and-so. So I was always in trouble at school, not for anything bad, but there just was not a barrier between my mind, for want of a better word, and, and my mouth. And so I was just always in trouble for talking back and so on and so forth. And as it happens, I've ended up making a career out of it, so that's fine. But what came with that was a sense, I'm bad, and some shame around that. The beauty, though, of this recognition now is that when those feelings now come up of shame or insecurity or whatever it may be, so when I'm triggered, rather than wanting the outside to change, I do welcome the opportunity to, ah, here's an opportunity to not resist, to not identify, to allow this to be there and to recognize that it's not something to be feared. It's not something, it doesn't define me. And therefore it's allowed to unwind because it doesn't have, there's nothing fueling it. There's nothing pushing against it or adding to the story. And so that for me has been a real gift. And I think that really shows up in my relationship with my wife. You know, we're both very much, when we're triggered, it's not the other person triggering. Oh no, there's something in me being triggered. And this is, This is an opportunity to bring it into the light of awareness. And I think that's the real shift. And so, you know, we live in a time, don't we, where being triggered is such a pervasive thing and it's people don't deserve to be triggered. To quote my wife's favourite author, Michael Singer, you know, we've all got those thorns inside. And rather than insisting that life doesn't brush up against them, is to, when it does brush up against them, see where that thorn is and use it as an opportunity to take the thorn out. And again, it's not something you do, but just allowing it to be there, inquire into its nature. And and then being triggered just takes on a whole new context, a whole new hue. It becomes an opportunity rather than something to be resisted. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not a sign that you are not there yet, you know, uh, that you're not awake or that you're not enlightened or good enough just not good enough um it's not a sign of failure it's you know we're we're framing it as an opportunity to see what's actually there not not in an intellectual way not to try to understand it with the mind but what can i learn here you know what is this showing me and when you see it that way you can then respond rather than react from that place of being triggered you can respond Mm. doesn't mean we always achieve it right but And this is something I really admire and like, again, about your approach is, I think, to honour the human in that we can sit here talking now about how far we've come. But you've told me, you know, that there are experiences in your life that trigger you and there are certainly that trigger me. And I don't ever expect that not to be the case. And sometimes we'll stay in that small reactive self. But it is something that that has a momentum to it. And you can still honour and be human, you know, recognise that this idea of enlightenment and I'm never going to suffer, that to me is not a goal. It's it's just living in accordance with this and enjoying thus far already how much it's enriched my life in terms of the peace it's given me outside the the more flow and, and the improvement of my relationships, the way I treat people, etc. You know, it has all those kind of effects. 
and enjoying the deepening of that without ex- expectation, I think. I think it's quite freeing to let go of this idea of of enlightenment as some end goal. We've all got our own traumas and challenges and whatever else. But I think whoever you are, exploring your experience and I think starting off with the simple recognition that you're not your thoughts, you're aware of your thoughts, which begs the question, what is it that's aware of the thoughts? And that can trip people up. But I think the more you get in line with that and then go deeper into it because it's you know infinitely deep, it can't help but enrich your life, not necessarily in the way that ego wants. In fact, not the way the ego wants, right? But in terms of Okay, feeling more peaceful, feeling more at ease, experiencing better relationships, being kinder, being more empathetic, (laughs) loving thy neighbor like thyself, not because it's the right thing to do, because it's the recognition of what's really true. And so dropping that enlightenment slash champion goal, just embracing this recognition, there's no one who couldn't, I don't want to use the word benefit, but I can't think of any other benefit from it. Well, it's a natural outcome of the recognition we're talking about of wholeness, the wholeness of experience. Because the opposite of that is I'm an isolated individual and my sense of self is deficient. I'm not complete. So I have to go out there and accumulate in order to try to bolster myself up to to be sort of substantial And so we've got this world of duality, this world of stuff as a sort of playground to do that. But does it really get us anywhere? (laughs) Does it really bring the the true contentment and fulfilment that we're talking about? Well, it doesn't. And I think we all know that on one level, don't we? I find it really interesting that, as you say, on some level we know, and yet there's a resistance to it. And... That's why I've doing this mini series, Success Evangelism and a New Way of Being, because there are these a lot of platforms that still put on a pedestal the kind of hustle or the Instagram life. Oh, I've got X businesses and I'm investing in this and check me out. It's hard not to fall for it. But you're right. I think we all do know it. And so so when I go and do talks and the word champion comes up and I talk about this. You can see that everyone's like, yeah, this is true. This is true. But I'm wondering when, and actually I'm noticing it now, you know, even conversations like this, or there are lots of other people who I've been fortunate enough to connect with through the podcast, through the book, through talks or whatever, who talk in the way that we are, it may be in different forms. And so my sense is that it, it's sort of there and it's growing and it's bubbling under the surface. It just hasn't quite broken through this top layer that's still there, this success evangelism stuff. But the signs for me are that it is going in that direction and one can only hope that there will become a point where there is a tipping point. Yeah, I remember Eckhart Tolle saying, all structures are unstable. That includes the, the structure of ego. And because we know that it's unstable although we don't want to admit it. We keep trying to to bolster that sense of self in different ways. And yet, as you say in the book, we long for states of flow because that's when the sense of me and the seeking and all that that comes with it, that's when it diminishes or even disappears. 
So we, we actually simultaneously fear and desire the loss of a sense of a separate self. And again, it's, it's, it's really easily overlooked because to come back to that thing of all flows, this great thing in service of a goal, because you get in flow more, you're more likely to win the trophy. But that's what I try to really illustrate with this book is it's not a coincidence that success is not fulfilling, certainly not for any length of time. And yet flow is innately fulfilling, enjoyable, peaceful, whatever you want to say. And it's like, okay, why is that? Is it because of, as some people might say, the surge of happy hormones or whatever it might be? But to me, it comes back to, no, it is, we lose that sense of me. If you look at it closely, because I've been thinking about this a lot, and it's how to explain this to people that haven't even questioned this idea of me, aren't even aware that they're not their thoughts, for example. And so if we think about the me, purely from a thought point of view, because obviously there's the, the feeling element as well, but purely from a thought point of view, you know, me's a thought. And it's straight away, me is a thought. Well, I'm talking about me. Well, that's a thought. Okay. And then if you break that down, let's say, you know, in sporting terms, well, part of my identity is I'm a Chelsea fan. Okay. Well, there's some meaning to that. That means that you happen to enjoy watching a particular sport and a particular group wear a particular colour, right? But turning that into I'm a fan or I'm a supporter, that's a thought that you've identified with. Even the roles we play, I'm a broadcaster. Well, that's a thought. No, that's just something I do. And even the word broadcaster, that's just an idea. So it's just unpicking and seeing that they're just thoughts and ideas and you can just unpick them. And so I just am trying to draw attention to the fact that the fact that we love this sense of me not being there is not a coincidence. And again, it comes back to there are so many different portals to it. It's so revealing. It's like, okay, look, it's a massive clue. The fact that it's innately enjoyable and the fact that um, the me is not there during it, let's put them two together and let's use that as an invitation to dive into the realness of this me and when it goes, what is revealed? And to bring it down from being too lofty, I just always think of, of a baby or of my baby daughter is, is what's revealed is that accepting, lovable, innocent, aware, awake, vibrant presence that is there all along behind these ideas. I hope that this will trigger a few people to consider that a bit more because to me it, it just is overlooked. Flow is overlooked. People talk about it in terms of, I spoke to one guy, spoke about it in terms of you're 500% more productive. So that gives you the edge on the competition and this kind of stuff. And it's, again, it's commodifying it as opposed to, no, it shows us that what we want is to be absent of me or to see through the me or to lose that sense of separation. Then that means the connection that we have with others in the world and reality at large. And the implications are so vast and so big as opposed to using flow as a means to an end to, to get a trophy, to aggrandize the very me that has just disappeared when you actually were happy. You know, it's, yeah, mm, that's mm, the irony mm. of it, but yeah. Yeah. It's not the ego who becomes happy. The quality of happiness, to give it a word, that 
transcendental happiness shines through when the false you relaxes in you know in spiritual circles where especially in the radical side of things it's like dissolve your sense of self ego death and all that the thing is the sense of self is coming and going all the time and like you said what remains what is it that remains with that coming and going you're constantly reincarnated in different ways in different roles different senses of self that's already happening but what is it that remains being that and you can't not be that that's the only source of contentment fulfillment happiness yeah you know certain phrases stick in your mind and one Shanti came out with i was listening to on a podcast it's like the more you're aware of awareness the more obvious it becomes and credit actually to a guy called piers thurston he put it in a very nice word of it goes from invisible to subtle to obvious and this intangible quality less or non-objective essence you just sort of sense it and it's it's a place of safety and it's a place of peace and it's always blooming there and it's so obvious isn't it that's the thing I mean, it's not, and then it is. And then it's just so obvious. It's just ironic, isn't it? It's, it perhaps it's the, the great joke, isn't it? Is that we rush around looking for something that is always here and cause a big bloody mess in the meantime. I am somewhat optimistic by nature, and I quite like what Eckhart Tolle says, which is that it's just an evolutionary thing. And that makes sense to me if... I spoke to a friend of mine who's a historian and you realise it's hard to say that we were more mind-identified back in the day than now with everything that's going on. But let's say, for sake of argument, perhaps we were. And and then let's also say, you know, we've only had the language-making machine for a fraction of our existence. So at some point, we've got to outgrow it. Maybe that's overly optimistic, but it, it, it feels to me that it's inevitable. Yeah. Yeah, I just feel like it's... Reality is seemingly constant self-exploration and that seems like an expansion because reality is unlimited it is complete it doesn't need to do anything you know you that's you you don't need to do anything you don't need to reach completion you are filled and yet there is this sort of intrinsic curiosity life just wants to reveal itself again and again and again in countless ways and so that can seem like a, an, an evolution. Life is full. Life is one, but it seems dualistic. Um, and it can do whatever it likes. And it's doing this. It's doing this human thing. It's just one mode of self-exploration. I love that point. The paradox, it's the marrying of the human and the spiritual. There's this ground of unchanging, unlimited, ever-present always alive, you know, it doesn't turn up, doesn't turn down, doesn't turn on, doesn't turn off. Awareness that is the ground of being. So there doesn't seem to be any evolution on that stage. And yet there's the human side where I think we're invited to, okay, the why question, it's such a hard one to answer. But if I'm pressed, for me, it's just like, okay, well, we're here. We've all got our stuff. We've got our patterns. We've got our traumas. We've got all this kind of stuff. And therefore, for me, the game, the human game, is to express this understanding in the way we are, which, as you've kind of pointed to, isn't necessarily something we do. It, it's a recognition that then 
does the heavy lifting for you. And then part of that is bringing our patterns and our traumas and our dysfunctions into awareness to be to be softened, to be alchemized a bit because then we are moving the needle forward because then there is some purpose and yeah it is a paradox isn't it on the one hand there's this pristine perfect unchanging side but on the other there's the human side and i just think honoring both at the moment we're stuck a little bit in that most people are completely on the human side physicalism achieve as much success get as much as you can on the one side and then on the other side, there's the spiritual side, which I think for me just just looks at the spiritual. You know, there is no separate self. Come back to this. There's nothing to do. Variations of that because there are obviously different extremes of that. Whereas what I like, I really like about the conversations you and I have is is this the paradox of meeting in the middle of we are human. As you said to me recently, you know, we do spend a lot of time caught in the small self and acting from that place. And then it's down to us to sort of, come back to that and but the more you marry the two which doesn't to me seem like a big deal it's just this fairly simple recognition that perhaps you know a few hundred years ago or however long it was we just made a few assumptions that have led us down a wrong path so for me bringing these two together okay this aware ground of awareness can help you be more fully human i don't think enough people on either side at present for me besides the conversations I've had with you, a meeting in that middle point. And I think there's a real gap there. That's why I so appreciate our conversations. Yeah, likewise, you can have a very eventful and dramatic awakening experience or shift. And life goes on. On the surface, normal life goes on. And so how does one bring that recognition to so-called normal life? How do you meet that? Do you just deny it? Do you just bypass it? Or do you celebrate it? Like, can you celebrate this appearance? Can you live from a, a place of open-hearted, childlike curiosity? Like, oh, wow, what is this? Oh, another opportunity. Ah, another, another. And almost be grateful, as you say, for your triggers. Life will clearly always test us, right? And so rather than railing against that, again, it comes back to it, the more you can get in line with, with how things are internally and externally. When I think of, of those feelings of shame or insecurity that I used to be much more prone to resisting and that can still come up, recognising that I'm the space in which they appear, that's the big difference rather than or a solid entity that is defined by this this fleeting feeling. That's the real gift, is dropping into that. This is why I loved the inquiry that you and I have done together, and I've said, uh, you know, I think you're, you're very skillful at it. I've done this with a few friends of mine as well, and the visual field can be a bit challenging because the visual field is so overwhelming and it's so obvious that there's separation, for example, or seemingly so obvious. But when you, when you shut your eyes and you, you inquire into sound and sensation and thought and we know that the sound of the bird over there is not me because I'm here and I'm aware of that sound, therefore it can't be me. And then you come closer and closer and closer and, into thought and realise it's all there. That's the beautiful, I don't want to say practice, that's the beautiful experience that then whatever shows up, 
just wants to be felt and embraced and the resistance increasingly falls away. I mean, I've definitely had times over the last few years where I've been pushing myself too hard and, and I'll hit a wall and I can be hit with an absolute barrage of emotions. And when I was younger, I, I didn't cry much until it, the well absolutely broke, but I'll be lying on my bed. It, has, it hasn't happened in a while, but I'm not ashamed to admit that this does happen. And I will be weeping. But now, even in the moment of weeping, there's a part of me that's like, yes, as opposed to what's wrong with me, which is what used to be the case. Now it's like, bring it on. The deeper, the better. And that's, that's a real relief. Yes, yeah, something like shame arises. And what do we do with shame? We kind of shame the shame. But if you don't shame the shame, how can you respond to it from a place of understanding? How would you respond to a child who felt shameful? What would they need to recognise their innate purity? Rather than getting angry at the fact that you're angry, how can you respond to that feeling of anger? Like you say, it's a constant invitation to inquire and to, to respond in a, in a new way. Rather than adding more so-called poison to the poison, can you find the medicine in the poison? And the way to do that is to see that it isn't poison. It holds a gift. To unlock it is to respond to it in a different way. I like what you said about compassion there, because I think that in the last couple of weeks, I can think of a couple of relatively minor examples where, you know, having had long periods of flow and acceptance and all these things, then I reacted in a, let's say, suboptimal way, got a bit mardy or whatever. And I very quickly am, am like, okay, I could have done better or or whatever. But what's the point in beating myself up about it? People talk often about forgiveness, don't they? And so it's recognize, okay, fine. I've briefly fallen off the wagon. Not a problem, but you know, that's given me some some insights. Will I completely internalize that insight? Probably not. Is it going to happen again? Almost certainly, to, and but hopefully to a lesser degree. And in my experience, definitely these things happen less and less. But that compassion and that forgiveness for ourselves and other people. You know, if I think of, if I think of, let's say, my family of origin, where so many of our wounds stem from, and a stage we have to go through. First of all, is because a lot of people don't even realize this. I think is is realizing that actually perhaps. In some families, at least, they don't realise this. You know, there are there were wounds there in the first place. And as a result of that, there's, it can often be anger and and uh, a sense of that shouldn't have happened, et cetera, et cetera. But then it, coming to a place of just the, the completely impersonal nature of it all. And then when you see that, then, of course, there's forgiveness. It doesn't mean that you don't have some boundaries around the behaviour, but none of it's personal. So So forgiveness is which goes hand in hand with compassion, is just another thing that happens of its own accord, you know? Exactly. The etymology of the word forgive is grant, allow. And so it's, again, it's that recognition of what's here is, is allowed. It's not something I can allow as an individual, but is allowed by what we truly are. That's really the true place of love and compassion. Love is the recognition of oneness wholeness how do we forgive another we see them as not separate 
if you're trying to forgive them as as a separate person, then there is that duality, isn't there? There is that separation. And so you're trying to do something to fix. Exactly. One of the things you, you say in, in the book about resistance is, is this. You say, resistance to something that has already taken place only happens in the mind. And having an agenda with any element of your inner experience, however subtle, is not acceptance. It's still a form of resistance. I really loved how you said that. Like, it's already happened. Like, it's already taken place. So why are you, re- you know, how can you resist it? Absolutely. And that's why I think the acceptance thing is so interesting in terms of it's not something you do, it's something you stop doing or what you are. Because as soon as you bring the mind into it or thought into it, you're into problems. You know, I, I still can feel the gravitational pull of my mind when it comes to acceptance. But even during those moments, yeah, it's, it's it's behind that. But then again, to come to the, let's say, the human and the spiritual, that, that paradox we spoke about, it's it's understanding, okay, okay, you're always the aware presence that accepts and is the ground of everything, it is the reality of everything. You're always that. But there still might be the appearance of the ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong between the two. And that's fine. You know, I think otherwise it breeds this sense of I'm not doing it right or I'm failing. I think it's just about spotting it. And because these are such deeply rooted patterns that we have. And so it's just a gradual, gradual unwinding and a shifting of identity, as we've spoken about. And on the absolute level, it's already been done. But on the human experience level, having the bouncing between compassionately, that's fine. Let's be honest about it. And and bring the two together in that way and, mm. and just and mm. honour that. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. That's, that is the work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that is the opportunity, that's the invitation. And it's always here. You know, life will always present those opportunities. Yeah, and, and I, think, I, think, I think that if in the way that you've helped me frame that, it becomes less than unachievable you know it, it it's much more manageable it's much more accessible it's, we've we've taken it off that that champion pedestal and it's just uh get in line with this recognition and then do your best <laughs> well thanks so much brilliant conversation a pleasure to talk to you on the podcast you know i'm a huge fan of your work and uh, really enjoy your company too so thank you Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.